Well, good morning. Scott's going to check out the kids, uh, make sure that they are obeying. And um, so but let me say uh, uh, thanks to Scott for preaching last week. It was great to just kind of be here. It's my first Sunday to kind of just be here and, and be able to worship with you. And uh, it's a weird kind of thing to not have to come up here. And people kept saying how relaxed I looked. And, uh, and that's, that's exactly why. So I certainly appreciate that. But it's also great to be uh, here and to share uh, with you in God's Word this morning. And so we are continuing in our look at Colossians. We've got today and then a couple more weeks. And, uh, and then Lent will be upon us and we will uh, we'll go off in a different direction. But so far, um, you know, people uh, said to me, actually people, by people I mean Scott, uh, and I can speak about Scott freely now because he's gone. Um, you know, what, uh, why Colossians and what do you think and, and, and why in this direction? And honestly, as I've often, I've, I've already have said to you at least one time um, before, I, I'm really not that great of a planner in a lot of ways, and I am oftentimes amazed at how the Spirit of God works through me in spite of that. And I have been amazed uh, as we've looked at Colossians and as we've thought about my kind of beginning time here with you at ZPC, how, uh, how fruitful it seems to me, um, uh, or how pertinent even this text is to where we are as a people. And so it seems to me that continues to be the case for us this morning. And so let us continue now by looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Paul writes, So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free. But Christ is all and in all. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray. God, it is a blessing to be here this morning. To gather around your spirit, your people, and your word. And so we do pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. 
So one of the things that Megan and I have been doing a lot of over the last six weeks or so is simply driving around. Usually uh, on Saturday and Sunday and Monday, um, we will throw the kids in the van and, uh, and we'll just start driving because we want to try to figure out where in the world we are. And so we, uh, we'll drive around just to try to figure where things are. We, uh, we, we've kind of been driving in different neighborhoods to see what, what might be a good place for us when we are able to get a home. Um, in truth, uh, just to be honest, uh, we, we've, we've a couple of times at least said, you know, I wonder where this particular person from ZPC lives. And so we've, we've gone to see where you live. And, uh, and so uh, we've seen where the Sheltons lived. Um, by the way, um, around six o'clock at night, they still have their curtains open and the lights are on. And that is when Scott really lets his hair down. So if you're <laughs> ever wanting something, now just, just, just keep that between us, okay? So, uh, so, and oftentimes what happens, of course, is that as we're driving around, we, we don't really know where we are. And so we, we always have our, our, our phones out with our maps on them, our, our, our app maps. And so uh, we're sitting there. And even though my wife has one, I have to admit, I, I kind of, I like to be in control a little bit. And so I oftentimes will also have mine out. Uh, and so we'll be driving around, and I'll be, I'll be looking down, and, and not surprisingly, uh, my wife is not very pleased by that, and, and in, inevitably, uh, all of a sudden, as we're driving around, and as I'm looking down, the, the tires will start hitting something that's clearly not the road, or my wife will scream out, watch out, uh, and sure enough, even though I, I I want to think I'm an amazing driver. Uh, the reality is I can't actually look down at my phone and drive forward at the same time. And, and I bring that up this morning because it seems to me that sometimes when we look at the beginning part of this passage uh, in Colossians, that sometimes we kind of uh, run into the same thing. Uh, Paul says, Set your, uh, uh, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father, not on things that are on the earth. And I think sometimes what happens is we think that that means that we could just kind of stare off into the heavens and just focus on God and pay no attention or little attention to what's going on around us. And there are, in fact, quite a few strands of Christianity for whom that's true. There are, are songs about just looking to Beulah land, and, and it seems like they're implying in many ways, don't, don't worry about what's happening here. Don't, don't worry about the earth at all. Just, just look up to God. But this isn't, of course, at all what Paul is actually saying. What Paul is actually saying is that, is that we, as a new people, since we've been raised up with Christ and are with Christ, that we need to begin to see things as Christ is seeing things. So that it's more like driving, if you will, and having a map kind of digitally projected up on your windshield and being able to see even more clearly what's happening around you because you can see things now through the map, a.k.a. Jesus. That, that really what we're doing is we are now beginning to actually see things even more clearly because we are seeing things as Christ sees them. As I was thinking about that this week, I was reminded of a, a mentor of mine who several years ago, he, he told me about a prayer that he prays. He, he has written it down in, his, in the front of his Bible, and every morning when he gets up, this is the prayer that he prays. And it's this one right here. Lord, give me eyes to see things as you see them. 
break my heart with the things that break your heart. Let me never pass opportunities to touch others with your love. Let me see, give me eyes to see things as you see them. That, of course, is exactly what Paul is saying here. Let me see as you see them. But what's interesting, of course, and what's impactful about this prayer is that it doesn't just stop there, does it? It says, after that, break my heart. And then after that, never let me pass up an opportunity to touch you. In other words, as I begin to see differently, I will begin to act differently. And this is exactly... This is exactly what Paul is saying in this passage. What does Paul say? Paul says, after see things as Christ sees them, he goes on almost immediately to begin telling them that no longer should they be a people who are caught up in fornication or impurity. No longer a people who are full of greed or anger or malice. That they should no longer be a people who are lying to one another. In other words, when your eyes see differently, your body should begin to act differently. That we need to be able to, as we start seeing the world in a different way, be able to follow that up and to act exactly as Christ would call us to act. Now, it would be easy for us to begin to have a sermon now, quite frankly, a sermon a week we could do on these particular issues that Paul tells us how we should begin acting differently. Fornication, impurity, evil desires, greed, malice, slander, lying. I mean, we could have a whole series on this. Doesn't that sound exciting? We pack the house, I'm sure of it. And there's nothing wrong with focusing on those things. But one of the things that's interesting, it seems to me, is to see how those things spill into what comes next. Which is that then Paul says, there is no longer Jew or Gentile. There is no longer barbarian or Scythian or slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. What is Paul saying there? Paul is saying, because of the fact that you have been raised up with Christ, remember this, what did we talk about two weeks ago? That we have a new story now that is found in Christ. Because of that, what is important is not your own little individual group of which you are a part, nor who you are as an individual at all. But what is important now is that you are a part of a new body. You are a part of a new community. And that that is supposed to take precedent over who you are as an individual. What Paul is saying here, it seems to me, is that all too often perhaps we begin to focus on who we are and who I am, and we forget that when you are welcomed into a community, that that is supposed to be who you are as a new body. 
I stumbled this week upon a video by N.T. Wright, and, and he talks about the fact, he's a New Testament scholar, and he talks about the fact that in every single one of Paul's letters, there is a large segment that talks about the importance of the unity of the community, of the union of the community. And why do you think it is that Paul, in every single one of his letters, has a large segment where he is talking about how important unity is? Well, that's an actual question. Why do you think he's doing that? Because it's a part of community and because it's so easy for that not to happen, right? And so when Paul talks about fornication, when Paul talks about greed or lying to one another or slander or malice, what do all of those things do to a community? They tear it apart. They destroy it. All of those things. What Paul is worried about, he's worried certainly about what these things do to you personally and your soul. But what he's also worried about is what these things do to a community. One of the things that Paul knew, and if I could be so blunt, one of the things that you at ZPC know is how inherently fragile community can be. Can I get an amen? And what Paul knows is that if we don't begin dealing with those things, if we don't kill those aspects of us that divide community, then what will be killed is the community. And it's why, as we've talked about quite a few times, what you have to focus on when it comes to Paul is not just what he's saying, but how he says it. You see, Paul doesn't just say, now do your best. Try not to lie to people. You know, come on, give it a, give it a good try. Try not to, to slander if at all possible. Try, come on, let, 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 let's not make people angry. What does he say? Put it to death. Kill it. Get rid of it. This is deliberate and intentional language. Community will not just happen. And left to its own device, it will always begin to fracture and fragment. Unless the people who are a part of that community do everything they can to kill those aspects of them to put them to death, those parts of them that would divide the community. You can't just hope to get along. You can't just come around and sing kumbaya and think that everything is going to be great. Because within all of us, there are those desires and temptations for ourselves as individuals to take precedence over the community. And if we do not do our best to kill those things, then the community will not survive. But that is not easy for us. And it is certainly not easy for us as Americans. I told, I think, the, P, the pastor nominating committee about this. When I was 31 years old, I, uh, it was when I met Megan. 
uh, my wife. And uh, I had dated a few uh, uh, young ladies before that, but, uh, but it never worked out. And people always said that I was commitment averse. And, uh, but I think it was because I just simply had not found the right woman. And Megan's at home today with our uh, uh, sick child. So if you could tell her I said that, that would be great. And so... So, so finally, uh, finally, though, when I was 31 years old, uh, uh, we met. And, and so inevitably, one of the questions that's always asked is, how did you know? How did you know that this was the right woman for you? Was it because uh, you first saw her and you saw how beautiful you, she was and you knew then? Or is it because that you discovered how, how intelligent she is? Or, or how much you, you realized that whenever you were with her, that, uh, that she would always make you laugh? And all of those things are true. But it's not actually, it was, none of those things were what, what happened when I knew for sure that she was the right woman for her. In fact, what elicited my very first I love you to Megan. And I'm not kidding here was when she said to me three of the most beautiful words that I have ever heard. Single, cheese, plain. Have you ever heard such remarkable words? Now, single, cheese, plain, the reason that she said that was because after about three weeks after I'd known her, I asked her the question, do you know how I like my cheeseburgers? And she said... Single cheese plain. Now, and so honestly, right after that, I said to her, no, no kidding, I love you. And, and so from there, we got married. That's all it took, actually. And so now there's probably lots of psychological reasons behind that. So let's not go there. But the importance for our story today is the fact that I loved I love cheeseburgers with only meat and only cheese and only a bun. And when I was growing up, the place that I could get that was at Wendy's, because I couldn't get that at McDonald's. You see, when I was growing up, and some of you know this because you're at least my age, uh, when I was growing up, you couldn't really just go into McDonald's and get whatever you wanted, right? You, you got it. If you wanted a quarter pounder with cheese, it came with ketchup, disgusting, and, and, and onions, I think. I, I don't know, maybe some mustard. And so I would, I would go in there, and I had to get a napkin and just kind of scrape it all off. Right? And, and, and so now it's not completely true. You could make a special order, but when you did, oh, you knew it was a special order. Right? Hey, Jimmy, we got a special order back here. Right? And then you kind of sleek back and you would wait at least five minutes. And then Jimmy would hit the little bell, special order. And you knew there was no way that thing was coming with just meat and cheese on it. But that, uh, that has changed. And at McDonald's now, I can go in there, I can get my quarter pounder with cheese, plain, and it comes, no problem. And nowadays, if I go to Taco Bell, guess what? I can get my bean burrito with no onions, and here it comes, bean burrito, no onions. I can go to Starbucks, and I can get my grande, sugar-free vanilla, non-fat, no water, chai tea latte. And they are almost excited to be able to give me something that is so specialized, so unique. Wherever we go, we can get things exactly as I like them, exactly as you like them. And guess what? We come into this Christian community with that exact same mentality. 
It's not our fault. It's simply the way our culture creates us. So that when we come into this place, we expect that we should be able to have the exact kind of music that I want. That the sermon should be exactly the kind of sermon that I like. That the people should be exactly the kind of people that I like to hang out with. That the program should be exactly the kind of programs that I desire. And if they are not, then I will go on my way because there is certainly another place that will at least get closer to giving me exactly what I want. And even if I decide not to leave, I will stay and I will stay a bit angry. And I will let people know that this is not exactly what I want or what I desire. It's simply the way we are shaped in our culture, and nobody is immune to that. And one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves is whether or not we see that as Christ sees it and understand that when we come in, that things will not always be just the way I like them, and whether or not we allow that to shape us into a different people, or we decide to simply go someplace else where we can have it just the way we want it. And I want you to know something, people of ZPC. I think it's important that every person here at this church know this. That whether or not it's in 10 years, or in 5 years, or next year, or this week, or today, there will be something here at ZPC that you do not like. It may be the person who's sitting next to you. It may be the color of the carpet. It may be a song that you're hearing. It may be a program that we're focusing on. It may be a decision that the session has made. It may even be this very sermon. There will be something that you do not like. And when that happens, you will have a choice. And that choice will be, how do you react to that? Do you react in such a way that it's clear that what you are most concerned about is not the community, but is you? Or will you ask yourself how you might be shaped in spite of this thing that you do not like? The society around us would tell you to simply move on or to get angry or to start slandering Now, we would never call it that. We would say we are just trying to make our voice heard to as many people as possible about this particular person whom we never actually went and talked to, but we're pretty sure we wouldn't want to anyways. How will we react when things happen here that you do not like? And will that reaction reveal that you are seeing things as Christ sees them? Or will they reveal that you are seeing things simply as you want them to be? I struggled a lot with trying to figure out how does one end a sermon like this? What's a good way for us to finish a sermon off like this? And I realized that I had made a mistake. That in actuality, 
I should not have ended this passage at the 11th verse like I did. That in reality, really, I should have kept going on because it was the next three or four verses. I see some of you looking now and shaking your head. Absolutely. I don't know what you were thinking. So I want you, and you can read along or you can just simply listen to what these words of Paul say. Because I think in these words are life. Paul says in the verse 12, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Sisters and brothers in Christ, there will come a time, I promise you, this week, or next week, or next year, or next decade. When you will have to ask yourself whether you will meet something or someone you don't like with grace or with anger. Whether you will deal with something that you don't like or someone you do not like with gentleness or with slander. Whether or not you will forgive as Jesus has forgiven you or whether you will simply walk out. And what you decide, what you decide, sisters and brothers, what you decide in that moment will predict whether or not this community will have the impact in this world of which we are a part as one, or whether or not we will simply be 500 individuals doing what we want on our own. We need each of you, and we need each of you to decide to put to death whatever it is that divides that we, we might go out as one. Are we committed to being that kind of community? That each of you must answer. Amen.